Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today should be a fun show. I'm excited about this one. So, it's a little after 5 right now. At noon today, there was a big Zoom call, and I got to talk with Carl Durrell, uh, hear from all of the new assistant coaches, plus Chris Wilson, who's been the defensive coordinator for, well, I guess this will be his second year. He's moved from defensive line to outside linebackers coach. Uh, and so what? It's like eight guys, maybe, who we heard from today. And there's there's obviously a lot to talk about. We hadn't heard from Carl Durrell since the first signing period, that first signing day. When was that? That would have been like the middle of December, a long time ago. So... Good to hear from him, especially because since then there have been a lot of roster moves, a bunch of guys transferring out, a couple additions recently, and uh, today that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Actually, this is going to get split into two podcasts, mostly because it would be like a two-hour podcast talking about everything that happened today, or like a one-hour podcast where we'd skip a bunch of things, which, you know, this time of year, we're not... We, we got to hit everything that was said because we have the time to do it. It's not like there's a game to prepare for on Saturday. Um, so today's podcast will be like 80% me, but then like 20% clips from Carl Durrell and Mike Sanford um, after they spoke with the media today. Um, we'll hit the other six or so tomorrow. The reason I broke it up this way is just because you know, some of you probably follow me on Twitter. You've seen some of the things that Carl said. You've probably seen some of the reactions to the things that Carl said. 
And so we're going to dig in really deep into those. Plus, you know, like I said, Mike Sanford today too, the new offensive coordinator. Got a got a look inside his mind and what his approach is going to be to this season. And so we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna run through some of that today too. And I was excited by what I heard. Um, I was honestly excited about what I heard from a lot of these coaches. But half of that's gonna have to wait for tomorrow. So make sure that you tune in then. Um, anything else to really plug before I get into all this? Um, like I said, it's Wednesday, so tomorrow there's a basketball game. We won't have much of a preview for that Oregon game, although Tad Boyle will not be coaching. He will be sidelined with COVID-19. Um, with Tristan also having it, we don't know if he's going to be back in time for the game Thursday. Worth keeping an eye on Twitter tomorrow before you drive to the arena. I think they're going to be able to play the game. I think that you know you need to have seven scholarship players to play the game. Uh, and... Right now they have eight scholarship players who are available, but Tristan Da Silva could be back, Elijah Parquet could be back, and so those numbers could go up. You also could have more players get sick, and then those numbers would go down, and that's why you should pay attention to Twitter. Um, I'll finish the basketball talk with this. My hopes are not high for that game tomorrow without Tad, potentially without some some of your better players. And, uh, you know, Oregon's never won in Boulder before. Hopefully the basketball gods respect that streak and don't want it to end because you don't have your head coach. Uh, Mike Rohn will be taking over the head coaching job for tomorrow, by the way. Um, so there's the basketball stuff. And, oh, I should also say, Monday's podcast, the last podcast in this feed, we heard from Ramon Jefferson, the new running back for the Colorado Buffaloes. Um, potential starter, I think, but definitely, I think, a pretty important part of this rotation uh, so so go back and make sure you listen to that. It's like 20 minutes with Ramon. Um, we got podcasts with Matt McChesney talking about his thoughts about this whole offseason. Uh, those will be relevant given what we're talking about today with Carl. We also had RK on on Friday. So, again, a lot of good stuff in this podcast feed. Make sure you go check it all out. But it is time to get into all of this. So, you know, Carl. Carl had the things to say about the the new signees. The I think four new players uh, who signed today. You know, positive stuff. Not too much on the details. He did say he thinks you know, Tommy Brown is probably an impact player for him. It probably factors into the starting lineup. Uh, they'll they'll try him out at tackle. They'll try him out at guard. Tough to believe he won't find a spot somewhere on the starting offensive line. Um, and so just wait and see how that plays out. He also added when talking about the offensive line that he really likes the depth there. And I think that that definitely caught my ear cuz that's not that's not a thought that I've had. I thought, "Oh no, how are they going to build an offensive line that is good?" You know, I think upgrading from last year should definitely be possible, but getting that group to to becoming like a middle of the pack Pac-12 offensive line Seems like a challenge. And to be honest, I still feel that way. But when he brought up the depth, it does make you think like, oh yeah, you know, there are at least, what, nine guys off the top of my head who are competing for a starting job. That means you've got four guys who should be pretty solid backups. And you've got some other young guys who, who knows, they could surprise and be be ready early too. Um, and so while the starting offensive line and, and just what that talent level is, how much they can produce this season is very much up for debate. I do think that he has a good point that there is depth there, which 
at least that is a bit of a change from last year. Um, I have some more thoughts on the offensive line, and I was really excited about what Kyle Devan had to say today. Um, but we'll, like I said, save the rest of that for tomorrow. Um, he also brought up the uh, the, the safety uh, who is coming over from uh, what's that? That's East Mississippi Community College. Uh, you probably know it from the the Netflix show Last Chance You, uh, Jeremy Mack. He's, I think, listed like six foot, 185 pounds, played one year over there. And Carl said, you know, he's he's a very good athlete. He's a hybrid player, can play some different positions, mostly plays safety, but has some of the, the quick twitch cornerback type of stuff, bit of a ball hawk, um, you know, pretty typical stuff there. Uh, the, the running back he brought in from... Uh, uh wow all these schools sam houston uh we did learn it's supposed to be called sam houston not sam houston state they're rebranding or whatever down there have been for a couple seasons T- carl called it sam houston state so i guess he didn't get the memo don't think he cares i didn't get the memo too it was too late but ramon jefferson uh running back i'm excited about you know another guy that that carl seems excited about mentioned he's experienced he's proven uh, he'll likely be a depth piece at the at the very least. He provides solid depth at the very least. Um, and then R.J. Sneed, who along with Tommy Brown, uh, Carl kind of categorized as a potential impact player this season. Um, did I say R.J.? No, I said Tommy Brown. R.J. Sneed, um, the, the receiver from Baylor, second team, all Big 12 a couple seasons ago. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this, and we'll actually save the rest of this conversation before because I do think he's a really talented player, and I think that he should be an impact player. Um, Carl also said that they're going to keep looking at the portal. Uh, they, they might add a safety. They might add a corner, um, might add a running back, defensive lineman, offensive lineman, just going to kind of see how things go and keep an eye on that, uh, throughout, uh, throughout the spring and into the summer. Also, you know, in, in, a, in another answer, he said, you know, basically the way you build a program at this point is to bring in freshmen and develop those freshmen and, and turn them into good football players and then use the portal to patch any holes, and particularly holes that are created because somebody transferred out. Um, and, you know, I think that that might be a little bit of a passive use of the portal, in my opinion. Maybe you just go hunting for, for good players regardless of whether there's a hole in your roster. Um, I thought that was a little bit insightful, but they're definitely keeping an eye on the portal going forward, which is no surprise. Um, I think that those are all the notes that I didn't feel like were worthy of a clip. So uh, let's just start. And, you know, like I said, some of the things that Carl had to say today were pretty controversial. And there's some people who really liked them. There's some people who really disagree. Um, but here's here's the first clip I pulled from Carl today. And uh, we, we feel like uh, the additions we made uh, in this program are, are in a lot of ways, uh, I think, uh, probably a little bit more of an upgrade from, from things that, have, that, we've, that we've had in terms of attrition standpoint. So we feel really good about us moving forward with uh, the, the players that we have and the energy's great. Everybody's ready to work and, and uh, we're off on the 22 season. I'd like to open up now for some some questions that you might have. So, uh, I bet you can imagine why that was controversial. Um, basically, saying he thinks that the team got better in the off season. 
Now, the popular opinion, the one that, you know, you log on to Twitter, you log on to the message boards, basically you go anywhere on the internet, is that the talent level significantly decreased. And here's my first thought here. First of all, we don't necessarily know what Carl's frame of reference is. You know, is he just talking straight up, we lost these players in the portal and added these players in the portal and we think we did better. I would I, I'm I don't think that's it. That's not how I read this. I think that he's looking at this kind of as a whole, you know, throwing in the portal with the players who are coming in like through just your normal recruiting class, and on top of that, the coaches. And he did mention the coaches just a few sentences before this, and so I do think that that's probably a big part of the evaluation. And honestly, this is something that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast is it's really easy to just say you lost these guys in the portal. You got these guys in the portal. Now, where does that leave you? But, you know, I, I think that what really matters is the the, the big picture, the, the summation of everything that happened. And that kind of comes down to a pretty simple equation, which is, you know, can the current coaching staff coach up the players that they have on the roster better than the past coaching staff coached up the players they had on the roster at the time. Um, and and if, if that's the case, then you expect to, to do better than the four wins you had last season. And I think that that's honestly probably a pretty good goal. You know, it, I don't know that you should ever be setting the bar below going to a bowl game in any given se- season, but given, you know, just the state of everything that's going on, I think that if the Buffs pull off five wins this year, People, I mean, you're not going to be excited about, but you're like, okay, the sky didn't fall. Let's uh, let's get to a bowl game next year. And given, you know, we've talked about the five-year contract that Carl's on. This is year three. I think that that sort of barometer kind of lines up well. Now, um, I do think that it's kind of fun that like Mark Perry came through and liked that that, that tweet when I quoted out or tweeted out that quote. Um, I think Makai might have even retweeted it. You know, again, if you just look at the players, it's tough to to make the argument that the team for 2022 got better because, you know, you, you lose Brendan Rice, but you bring in R.J. Sneed. And I think that that's an upgrade because R.J. Sneed is a proven player who plays a very similar style of football to Brendan Rice. But again, he's proven it. He's done it before, and while his ceiling might not be quite as high as somebody who could potentially go run a 4-4-40 or or jump whatever and lift whatever and all those different traits that Brendan Rice has, when you're talking about the 2022 season, I think that R.J. Sneed is just a better football player at this point, even if he doesn't necessarily have all those tools that, who knows, a year, two years, three years down the line could turn into a a better football player than R.J. is. Um, So... You have that, but then you also lose Makai. You also lose Christian. Um, you you add Tommy Brown, which is exciting, um, but you know maybe that cancels out one of those guys. You lose Mark Perry, and so again, portal wise, I don't think the Buffs won. You know, I do really like a bunch of these pickups from the portal for sure, um, but I, I think the outgoing probably does outweigh the incoming. Um, but then again, you factor in the, the turnover in the coaching staff, which, you know, Mike Sanford, I know that there's some mixed feelings about Mike Sanford out there. And uh, there's also just some straight up negative feelings toward Mike Sanford. 
Ripken is going to be better than Darren Cheverini. I'm confident in saying that. You know, Kyle Devan, I think the the general consensus is that he is a really good hire. Now you'd take that he's a really good hire and compare it to the fact that it was Mitch Rodriguez running that room before. There you go. I think I think that that's a pretty big upgrade. And honestly, maybe the biggest upgrade is just at the quarterback position. It's the most important position in sports. And your options are either JT Shrout because he's back from injury and he could turn out to just be a straight-up better quarterback than Brendan Lewis was, or it's Brendan Lewis. And Brendan Lewis was a... Uh, I mean, he'll, he'll have one more year of experience under his belt, one more off-season of work, and he will be better himself. So you're upgrading the quarterback position for sure. You're potentially losing talent um, overall on your roster, but you bring in the coaching staff. How does that balance out? I don't know. Can you blame the coach for being optimistic, for being excited about what he has? Not really. And so, again, it's... It is what it is, and when Carl says that, that he thinks that they got better this offseason, you can at least see where he's coming from, even if you don't agree. Uh, next up, here's, a, here's, an, here's another controversial uh, statement from Carl uh, where he does say, you know, the losses might kind of just outweigh the negatives here. Um, so so here's, a, here's what Carl had to say. Well, it, it was, you know, anytime you lose players, you know, that, that, that leave your program, you're, you're not excited about, you know, the, why those decisions have been made, but, but that's part of the world that we're in now in terms of recruiting and NIL and transfer portal, uh, transfer portal. I mean, that's just a new process that we're all dealing with across the country at every program. And, you know, so there's always the, the initial shock of disappointment when that happens, but, I do feel like, uh, you know, it, it did give us a chance to, to, like you said, regroup and reorganize ourselves and you know, decide on who's, who's really excited about being here and, and believe in the process of what we're doing here. So things like that are really, really, uh, I say, outweigh the negatives. Um, but I do wish all of those players well. I, I hope that they, they got what they uh, were looking for and, and to, to help them in their careers and their own respective uh, goals that they've had for themselves. But, you know, right now we're moving forward with, with what's in our building and then what's coming in the summer. And, and uh, like I said, there's just a really good feeling that's within this team that I haven't felt in my two years prior. Again, I mean, the, a lot of what he just said is very similar to, to what he said before. And so I don't have a bunch of like new thoughts about this one. Um, but again, like I will say that first of all, I understand the negativity from the outside. I, I understand why losing Christian Gonzalez would make people unhappy or Makai Blackman or any of that. Like that, that part is very clear. Um, but I will also say that it is just kind of nice to hear somebody say like, oh yeah, the vibes are good. The vibes are good. The, we're not worried about steadying the ship, those sorts of things. And, uh, Eh, I mean, maybe you don't buy it. And again, I can't blame you for not buying it, but there you go. Uh, let's move on. Here's a, here's probably the, the most controversial thing that Carl said today, at least according to what people have yelled about at me. Um, and this is when he talked about what happened at the end of the season, when he just 
went straight out onto the recruiting trail as soon as the season ended. And uh, I'll share the rest of my thoughts afterward. You know, so I would say the things that I think from from what I've understood is that, you know, I went out uh, recruiting right after the season and and probably I look back at it hindsight wise, it, it might not have been the most uh, appropriate thing to do. I probably should have had some interviewing process right after the season just to kind of check in with all of our players and get some discussions about you know, uh, how their 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 uh, experience has been, uh, where they need to go from here, things of that nature. And, and, and that's probably something I think all of the coaches just talk with other head coaches across the country is that we have to make sure we got, we're pretty much in lockstep with our current players, even though we're in a recruiting process for adding additional ones, you know, along the way. But I think the communication piece needs to improve and we'll continue to work on those things uh, so that we're all on the same page in case there is a uh, someone that is disappointed or someone that you know is thinking about you know going into the portal, maybe we get a chance to visit about that that particular player and, and maybe get a solution done prior to him actually entering the portal. So there's a lot of things to learn from that for sure. All right. Um, so uh, again, I bet you can imagine why people are upset about this. Um, you know, in, in my mentions, I hear things like you know I. I wouldn't focus so much on the new guys that I forget about my own staff or uh, you know, that here's another one that seems so obvious. Why would you not have postseason interviews with the players? Um, stuff like that, stuff like that. And first of all, I will say that, yeah, he, sh- he should have interviewed all the players because the, you might've kept a couple of these guys that uh, wound up leaving. Um, and you know, I think that, I think the general consensus on the internet is definitely that. And also, you know, what Carl said was exactly that same thing that with hindsight, he would have done things differently. Um, we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, first of all, I'll say this. So most of you know this, but the way recruiting works is there's different periods throughout the year where you're allowed to go talk to guys or visit their houses or whatever. Um, Right after the season is one of them. And so, like, November 28th through December 11th is one of those periods where you're just allowed to go talk to whoever, not quite whoever, but you're allowed to go out on the road and do recruiting. And those time frames are very valuable. You know, that's it's part of this, like, recruiting culture that has kind of developed in the last decade where everything is about recruiting in college football. And part of that is you have two weeks to go talk to these guys you do not waste a second. You know, o- Oregon's coaching staff this year, they were on players' doorsteps at midnight so that they could get in. And they, they marketed it well. And, you know, you got the recruits, like, sending out Snapchats of them with whatever Oregon coach at 3 in the morning um, saying, like, oh, look how much he cares about me. Like, I'm like, and, and that's, like, the world that we live in. That's the world we've grown toward for forever. And, honestly, we've been living in for probably a decade, and it was kind of growing before that. Um so, the idea of going out and recruiting immediately after the season instead of like having meetings with all your different players, that has kind of been the, the the generally accepted practice. You know, that's been the standard in college football. Um, and so, anything other than that is kind of like disrupting the status quo. At the same time, again, like it was the wrong decision. 
Absolutely, because we do live in a different world now where any player can go wherever he wants for any reason with basically no consequences. Um, no no sitting out, the, the, the barriers between a player and transferring, and they're basically non-existent at this point. Plus, you have the NIL stuff going on, so you're incentivizing players to go to, to particular schools. So, yeah. And, I mean, bigger picture, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we've been talking about since the NIL started, right? Since you've been able to make NIL deals with players, which is there are going to be schools that take advantage of this change and figure out what the right way to do things is before everybody else, and they're ahead of the curve, and they benefit from that. You know, long-term, everybody's going to be on the same page. And, you know, that's kind of how things were before, where long-term, everybody realized, yeah, you got to maximize every second that you can recruit. Like, that's the new world. If you can recruit, you better be recruiting. And the, the schools that figured that out early, the trendsetters were, you know, Clemson and all of them were like, yes, we are going to recruit real hard, and they benefited from it. With this whole new wave, everything changing, eventually everybody's going to get to the point where they say, yeah, immediately you talk with all these players and make sure that they're happy and there's nothing you can do, and then you go focus on everything else. And there's a hundred of those different little things that different schools are figuring out and getting ahead of everybody else, but within five or ten years, everybody's going to know what the best practices are, and that's what's going to happen. Carl failed here, and that's what he said. Um, and... Uh, that's the point. Um, again, I don't want it to come off as like I'm the Carl defender because he has made some mistakes and that was probably one of the biggest ones. Um, at the same time, it's like you, we've already bashed him for losing those guys, right? And we could imagine that a mistake was made in the process for you know to, to cause them to leave. Um, does it show that maybe he was a little bit out of touch with his locker room and not knowing that there were this many impact players who wanted to leave? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's an issue. Um, and super big picture here. You know, people complain when they get the standard answers, right? When a quarterback goes to the podium and says, you know, they... We, we just got to go out there and, and we got to work hard and we've got to execute and, you know, we lost our running back, but next man up. And, you know, th there's the same things that get repeated over and over and over again. Um, and it's kind of turned in talking to the media in whatever fashion, um, whether it's just talking to reporters, whether it's going on podcasts, whether it's whatever. It's kind of turned that into just like, ah, you, you say what you say and nothing changes and you move on and there's whatever. And and people say, you know, we want to hear what's going on. We want the transparency. You know, that's in, in this particular situation, something that's been echoed on Twitter a lot. It's like, we haven't heard from Carl in forever. We want, we want that accountability. We want to hear what's going on and whatever. Well, you got it. And this is what happens when people get to hear the things that they've been wanting to hear. They get to hear the real opinions and they're like, oh, well, that sucks. Why did you say that? You should have kept that to yourself. It's like, well, you, you knew something was going wrong, right? And you wanted to know what it was. Well, there you go. There it is. You know, Aaron Rodgers. This whole Aaron Rodgers situation, there's a big piece of that where it's like, athletes should should open their minds a little bit and share 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 their feelings and actually let people in and let us know what's going on. It's like, ooh, why did he say that? I don't want to hear from him ever again. Um, so, it, again, it's kind of that double-edged sword where you... 
you want transparency, you want information, you want to know the truth, well, you got it, and it turns out you didn't like what you heard. Um, you know, and it kind of goes to, like, you look at any politician, they know to never apologize for anything. And if they do apologize, it's like, oh, sorry, I'm sorry if that offended you. I'm sorry that you felt this way. Like, there's never, like, a real apology because it's just a straight-up bad move to ever admit you did anything wrong politically. And Parle, he's in a political position. People online are going to hear what he says. People are not even online are going to hear what he says. And would he be better off just saying absolutely nothing? Probably. In most cases, the answer to that question is yes, because that's just the way the world works. But I will say, I do appreciate him for just saying, I should have done things differently. I made a mistake. I learned from the mistake. And next season, guess what? We're, we're going to have postseason interviews the day after things happen, even if that means that I, I miss out on going to six recruits' houses, you know, if you're doing three a day for two days or whatever. Um, and again, it was a failure. It was a mistake. And we've addressed it, and I feel like we can, we can hopefully move on. Um, but that was probably the most controversial. There were, I mean, you can see how many quote tweets there were for yourself. It grows by the minute. Um, let's move along, though. So uh, here's here's another thing. And, you know, I'll, I'll let him say it for himself, but basically likes the young guys and thinks that maybe losing some of these players made it easier to sign the best recruiting class in CU history by, by the numbers. And you can never trust the numbers. We shouldn't... You can't say you like recruiting rankings when they help you when 90% of the time you say, like, well, they actually are kind of dumb. Um, and, and in this case, Colorado's numbers are inflated just because they have a big class. Um, so there's that grain of salt. But the question was basically, it's got to feel good, right? Like like having, having this massive class or having this highest rated class and being able to develop them, having your guys in the program. Here's, here's what Carl said. We feel that the younger talent that we've added and, you know, that are going to be joining our program, we feel like we're getting better and better in terms of the belly of that talent from a, from a, a quality standpoint. So a lot of those players uh, will be, uh, uh, we think, impactful players for us to help us this fall. Um, that's one of the, you know, I, I guess the enticements of why they decided to come to our place is that they see an opportunity to play and to contribute and to, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are very confident that they can help uh, a team win. So, you know, a lot of those young players, just like we've had the, the handful of young players last year that helped us and did some significant things, you know, I would say a lot of this class feels the same way. And and probably the nature of recruiting is uh, right now with, with all the different elements of transfer portal and junior college, high school, and, you know, the things that, that you were dealing with, you know, these guys are looking for opportunities to play. So a lot of them feel very strongly about their own skill sets and how they can come and impact us. And, and uh, we're going to coach them up and, and, and create a great level of competition. Before we dig into that, um, there's actually another clip that I want to play that's on a similar topic. And it's better if I just combine my thoughts after. Here you go. I'm very excited about the future. I really am. Uh, I do feel... Uh, 
that we're bringing more quality into the program. I do feel that way. Um, we're, we're, and that's not to take any punches or slights on anyone prior to me, but I do feel that we are, we're making great progress with the, the quality that's coming in. I think our coaching staff is the, is, is the best that I've had since I've been here. I'm excited about uh, the additions uh, from that standpoint, and they're excited about, you know, what's on our roster and what's coming, you know, coming in later in the summer. So there is a, uh, some excitement on both sides of this thing from a player perspective and from coaches. So uh, we feel good about our efforts in recruiting of the guys that I hired. Like I said earlier, they – they were hired, they signed their contracts, and they weren't on the road. <laughs> and uh, and we, we were able to get some really good quality pieces. Uh, so there is there is a level of excitement from, from really all facets right now, Sean. So, you know, the bottom line, we got to develop them. Uh, you know, it starts with that off-season training that we're dealing with right now with our team. And then the coaching them from a, from a football knowledge and perspective and developing them on a field. And we have very good coaches that can do that. So... Uh, I would say we're we're feeling like we're heading in the right direction for sure. Okay, so a couple of things about those two clips. Um, first of all, you know, I, I want to talk more about just like the the level of talent. Um, you know, in Carl's words, like the quality that they're bringing in. Um, because again, it's the top rated recruiting class ever at Colorado. In part because it's a massive class, and you get more points for having more players in your class. Um, and those are using like the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings, which are kind of the standard. And there's, again, there's this conception, which might absolutely be right, that Mel Tucker's staff was a better recruiting staff than Carl Durrell's staff. And on a player-for-player -player basis, the recruiting rankers, whether it's 24-7 sports, whether it's rivals or whoever else does that, they would agree with that sentiment. And there's absolutely something to that. I think there's also something to the idea that, you know, for Colorado to win, it's, it's or, or even Colorado to recruit well, to bring in good talent, it's going to take recognizing talent where others don't. You know, realizing which players are good and which players can contribute and which players fit the system and which players will mesh with the coaches and can be developed by these coaches rather than just saying, well, 24-7 sports says they're good, so they're good. Um, and, again, I we the answer is we don't know what the talent is like, right? I mean, we, we'll see in a year, yeah, in about a year, the first of Mel's players potentially go to the NFL. We'll see, you know, what does the NFL say about this talent? And I think that they're probably better graders than 24-7 uh, sports, although there's other factors like how well they have been developed. Um, but we'll see probably next year where Christian Gonzalez is valued by the NFL and potentially Brendan Rice, but he's probably a year later. Um, we'll also see next year about guys like Jaron Mang, or, or sorry, Ashad Clayton, or uh, um, who else was part of that class who was pretty highly rated? Oh, Jason Harris. We'll see about Jason Harris in the next couple of years. And those guys, as of right now, it'd be, it'd be a pretty major shock if they got drafted, but they still have their time and we wish them the best. We'll also see in like four years, three years, whatever, when some of Carl's guys that he recruited get through. And so the big, my big thought is you can't really grade recruiting classes before they actually get onto campus. 
um, before they actually have something to contribute, before they put a stamp on the university or whatever. Um, the fact that Carl went out of his way to say that he likes the talent that he's bringing in better than the talent that was already on the roster, I mean, it's significant, right? I, I mean, it's it's definitely significant. And we've, we've heard for a couple years now about Carl's philosophy for recruiting, which is very different than Mel Tucker's. You know, Mel was... First of all, Mel is a good football coach, and nobody can take that away from him. And we, we can see what he's done with Michigan State. Um, but I think that it's also true that part of his personality is being a little bit ego-driven. You know, he, he, wants to, he wants to make noise. He wants to do those sorts of things. And he takes pride in going in and saying, ooh, this kid's been offered by Georgia and LSU and Alabama. I'm going to go get him. And then we'll stick it to everybody, and it'll be a big story that we did it and all that stuff. And that's not really Carl's style. It's Carl's style is probably the exact opposite of that. You know, Carl. Well, I think it was day one on the job. He was telling us about. Um, oh, who was that? He's a he's a patriot. He's a guy whose name. I mean, this is the reaction that people should have to him as an NFL player, honestly. Uh, Matthew Slater, that's his name. Matt, that's his name, Matthew Slater. Um, recruited him to UCLA, winds up being like a special teams player in the NFL. He plays receiver. He gets onto the field occasionally, mostly when there's injuries. But he, he sticks in the NFL as like a Pro Bowl special teams player. Um, and that, that's the kind of guy that Carl's looking for. It's like, oh, he's not fast, he's not strong, but guess what? We can turn him into a football player because he has the mentality be good at football and again at the end of the day at some point if you want to win a national championship you need four and five stars who are big and fast and strong and all that Um, but the question is how do you get to that point is it by trying to recruit by punching above your weight and using the talent to fuel you to your your bowl game and then rising through the bowl games by consistently punching above your weight until you're up there potentially I think that that's probably the the consensus best way to do it um but if you can also find players who play above their recruiting ranking who punch above their own weight then i think that can work just as well um as of right now again i you know my thoughts on this let's not grade the recruits before they get here i mean we we graded last year's transfer class way too early um because a lot of them you know, they, they didn't contribute as much as we had anticipated. Um, so we'll see what these this year's transfers. We'll see what this year's coaches. We'll, we'll see with the recruiting. Um, again, interesting that, that Carl feels that way. And, and that's not true. Of course Carl's going to feel that way. Interesting that he wanted to say that. Interesting that that's what was on his mind was, hey, at least we got some talent here now, right? Because that's a little bit different than the outside perception. Outside perception could be right. Carl could be right. Time will tell. Um, other thing, honestly, that I think is even more interesting than other stuff is uh, that he said that it helps recruiting when you do lose some star players because there's holes. And that's not a surprise. Like, we all know that. If there's playing time to be offered, then then you get good players. But it wasn't necessarily something that I had thought about or that we talked about on the podcast all that much. Um, and then he kind of built on that as well, saying that, because of the portal, and also, I guess, because of NIL deals, players want to play early because they know that if they go prove themselves, they're going to get more opportunities. Or if, if they go play well as freshmen, well, then all of a sudden, they're going to be getting NIL deals after their freshman season, whereas a lot of players have to wait a couple years to see the field. Um, and I think that where Colorado is now, 
taking advantage of that situation makes a lot of sense. You know, this running back that they brought in who's going to gray shirt next year, that's a really talented player. I mean, St. Thomas Aquinas is uh, the, the best high school program in Florida. It's a consistent national contender, and they've won three straight championships with him running for over 1,000 yards in three seasons. That's a good football player. And there's reasons he had offers to, to Georgia and to, I think, was LSU in there? Texas A&M definitely was. And Texas A&M, what, they've got like six of the top 16 recruits in this class. And Colorado got him. Now, I'm not sure if there's something else going on, going on behind the scenes. There could be. Who knows? Um, but the point is, he's a really talented football player. And he probably doesn't want to have to sit on the bench for a couple of years wherever he goes. And if he does go to Colorado and he does play well initially, well, then he's going to have options, whether that's NIL options, whether that's options to go to another school, whether he likes it or not. Hey, it makes sense to get on the field early and see what you can do. Um, I do want to say, though, and emphasize what I said earlier, taking advantage of that situation makes sense for Colorado right now. You know, because because this is also the the whole like could could lower end power five teams just become a farm system for Alabama and Georgia and whoever else you want to throw in that category, like USC maybe with the the guys that have left Colorado for USC, and that is a real fear, and you don't want to have a habit of just bringing in freshmen who then transfer eventually need those guys to stick around and eventually want to be able to be that program that guys from other schools want to go to eventually um but you know you are where you are and when you have holes on the roster at least the bright side is that you get to bring in these these more talented young players than you probably would bring in if you were saying hey you're gonna have to sit on the bench a couple years so uh, there is that as well. Um, also brought up, he, it's the best staff in his time here. I, I would agree, at least on paper. But again, you got to wait to really evaluate them. We'll see if they can develop some of these young guys because there's going to be young guys on the field this year. Um, one more clip from Carl. One more clip from Carl. Uh, some NIL stuff here. You know, a lot of people have asked me months ago about how can, how can we get involved or how can we help and now there's there's those avenues to, that that are actually in place for them to help so there's a great deal of excitement from the people outside the building that are helping our programs and obviously inside the building we felt like we're we're being competitive which is what we need to be in this type of market all right um so first of all i mean again there's a lot of negativity surrounding cu right now on the outside which again is totally reasonable they uh they've have struggled for 15 to 20 consecutive seasons and they they've lost some of their best players in the last month or so plenty of reason to be pessimistic and i think because of that the first thing that catches your ear here is well they've had wanted they've had people who want to give money to see you for for months and months and months and, and couldn't couldn't get it done like what's that about why it takes so long to do this again yes they should have found a way to get more money into players pockets earlier on absolutely and this is another one of those things that you look at and say college football is changing and there's going to be teams who are ahead of the curve and are able to 
take advantage of that and build strong programs because of that. And there will be programs who fall behind because of it. And eventually everybody's going to be on the same page doing the same things. Um, and, and this is a place where Colorado failed to, to catch that little edge. Um, so first of all, yes, this is another one of those small failures that make things tougher in the long run. Um, more importantly though, you know, it's just something I've said on the podcast before that the money is out there. The money for NIL deals is out there. Now it may not be out there at like a Texas A&M or USC type of level, but there is money out there. And I have heard that. I've also heard that there are some pretty big deals that could be announced here in the fairly near future. Um, again, I, I wish I could get more details. I can't right now. Um, but just think about what are the big deals in college football? What, what do those look like? What do players get? And I think that there's a couple of those in the works. Um, Another just kind of fun note is that it's like, you know, boosters and alumni, people who want to help these student athletes out. It's like, well, that's not how NIL is supposed to work. Like it's supposed to be like businesses or people getting benefits from the student athletes that are equal in value to what they're giving the student athletes, you know, which it's like promotion or whatever where Carl is taking this in the more honestly just more practical more realistic way the way it is actually working which is boosters and alumni they want to give money to the student athletes we're cool with it and we want to help make that happen um so I thought it was kind of fun that he was just that way about it um but again I do think that it is worth noting that he said People want to help out financially, and now they're finding a way to do it. CU has put the infrastructure in place at a very high cost to uh, to, to make that happen. Um, and, you know, obviously DNVR, we were, we were, I think we were top five, one of the first five in terms of getting into that uh, portal, which officially opened today. So you could register before, but today's the day, or no, yesterday, sorry. Um, where you're getting messages and we've gotten messages and we've sent messages and it is absolutely easier. And obviously like there's, there's been people throughout the process saying like, why do you need this? Like people know how to reach out. You can just like, you can DM people do that stuff. And it's like, yes, you absolutely can. But even as somebody in my position who I, I have a lot of access to student athletes in all the different sports, this is way easier. It's way easier. And DNVR, you know, we are going to get more things done and have more of these deals because of this portal. So I can also vouch from my own experience, yeah, this is good. And just got hope for hope for big numbers. You know, I saw Brendan Lewis announced today that he's got a deal with the sink. And, you know, a lot of those sorts of deals are just gonna be food in exchange for tweets or Instagram posts or whatever. Um but you know, there's potential to make more money on top of that. Um, and, and I do know that there are student athletes on this football team who have kind of worked their way up. And, you know, they've gotten the deal that's, hey, free food in exchange for a tweet. And it's turned into whatever else to whatever else to actually making real cash. And you, you I would think that your starting quarterback even initially would be doing better than just free food. I also have no idea. Um, but I can say that he tweeted today about the sink and about how they have the best burger in Boulder. I can't vouch for that, but it is proof that this is working at least on some level. Um, that's it for Carl. That's it for Carl. And we are 45 minutes into this podcast, which is not what I anticipated. 
But like I said, we're only hitting Carl and Mike Sanford today. So uh, let's take a quick break and get to Mike Sanford, and we'll get to everybody else tomorrow. Or who knows, maybe we even split that up one more day because there's so much to talk about. Um, real quick, though, Breckenridge Brewery, they make so much of what we do here at DMVR possible. Um, they, they sponsor this podcast. Obviously they sponsor a bunch of the other stuff we do. Uh, when we have tailgates up in Boulder, they give us beer for that. Um, they really help us out and we'd really appreciate if you support them in exchange for that. If you're listening to this podcast, they have helped you. Um, assuming you're enjoying it, which I sure hope you are. Uh, but they also have partnered with CU and with the Broncos and the Avs and the Nuggets and all that stuff. They're a huge part of the sports community, even beyond DNVR. So, there you go. More reason than ever to drink their beer, which even if you're not a sports fan, honestly, here's the thing. Even if you hate sports and you specifically hate DMVR and this podcast and our tailgates, I still think you should drink their beer just because it tastes that good. And, you know, the Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter, you can't go wrong. The Good Company Hard Seltzers are probably the, I mean, everybody loves a seltzer. I think there were some people early on in this whole like seltzer movement who thought like ah this is this is kind of this is kind of BS like I'm not I'm not soft I'm too tough to drink seltzers I drink a beer oh that's only 100 calories I need I need 300 calories because I'm a ma- whatever um, at this point everybody is basically admitting that they like seltzers um, which I have done all along maybe people will catch up to me with the strawberry sky which is the best beer from Breckenridge but that one might take a little bit longer um point is good stuff support them they support us and one percent of the proceeds go to the national parks conservation association whether it's a beer you buy at the bar whether it's a beer you buy at the grocery store whatever breckenridge is the best um also the moment we've been waiting for since september is finally here in honor of the big game DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of super bowl 56 is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? Well, you can experience Super Bowl 56 with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, it's secure, it's reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use the promo code DMVR, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code DMVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. Uh, Mike Sanford. I was I was curious what he'd have to say. Um Again, I think, you know, there are, there are a lot of, I don't know if they're like misconceptions or preconceived notions or whatever you want to call them. People have thoughts about Mike Sanford, and he was very willing to address them. I think, I think Mike Sanford is like a Twitter guy. Um, you know, there's, there's some coaches who are, some coaches who aren't, and I think that for recruiting purposes, it is very helpful to be online. Um, as you've seen, you know, Darren Cheverini, very good at that. For all of his flaws, very good at recruiting and using social media as a recruiting resource in particular. I think Mike Sanford is one of those guys. I also think that 
maybe given the reaction to his hiring, decided to potentially play it just a little bit close to the vest early on. Um, but he was willing to address uh, some of the stuff straight on. You know, he said things like, I think CU fans want to know whether we're going to run the ball 70% of the time. Don't worry, we're not. And that's something that, you know, maybe he's reading the message boards, maybe he's on Twitter, maybe he's getting walked up to in the grocery store and harassed or whatever, but he he has awareness of the situation and, uh, you know, he, he was willing to address it, which I I appreciate. You know, similar to, you know, Carl made a mistake. Is it a good look for him to say, here's how I screwed up? No. Just straight up, no, it is not. And maybe in the long run, you get points for that when people three years from now are like, ah, well, you know, whether Carl wins or not, like, he he's honest, you know, and, and that does count for something. But it seems to count for less and less and less with every passing, like, month or day or decade or whatever. Um, the point is, I, I enjoyed hearing from Mike Sanford, energetic guy, uh, young guy, um, things that you look for, especially when you have an older head coach. Um, those are kind of the big takeaways. Do I have any notes? Uh, oh, I didn't pu- uh, pull the clip of him saying that the quarterbacks are going to compete, um, but it is an open quarterback competition as we expected. Oh, here, here is another. I didn't pull this clip, but he did say like um, that there isn't like a, a team Brendan or a team JT or a team Drew. Like everybody just wants to do the best and the best players see the field and he isn't worried about that toxicity. I do think the fact that those were the three names that he threw out there. I mean, if we want to, if we want to overreact to, to what he has to say and you know, what else would we do if we're going to be talking about the first 30 minutes of this press conference for a full hour plus today? Um, you know, the fact that Drew was the third name thrown in there, does he have a better chance than Maddox? Does he have a better chance than, uh, uh, Owen McCown or uh, Oki. I mean, I guess no. That's too much of a surprise if he does. But I don't know. Maybe notable. Probably not. Let's speculate though, because I've been talking for too long. It's making me a little bit loopy. Um, here's a here's the first clip I want to play from Mike Sanford. Basically, him just explaining the the process of him going from where he was to Boulder process started um when we when we played here uh, in september and uh and you know i've been in minnesota for the three year and a half and obviously I'm originally from the west coast been in the pac-12 and not west conference for a long time but um we were out there in early early warm-ups um about three hours before the game we got to the stadium really early it was 11 o'clock kick i believe maybe a noon kick but um i had a chance to be out in that sun and see that stadium see the west coast be out in that um you know, be at, be out in that environment, and, and you know, I actually shared with a couple of the, the GAs, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not going back into that locker room right now because it is nice out here. Um, and uh, and then I had a chance to see a lot of the people on the other sideline. Um, you know, Shannon Turley, um, you know, guy that I'd worked with at, at Stanford and seen a program completely transform from a one and eleven season in 2006, I believe, um, to you know, winning multiple back-to-back New Year's Six bowl games. Um, you know, and then Brian Cabral, a uh, guy that I've known for literally 37 years, um, since my dad and he worked together at Purdue back in the in early mid 80s, um, and somebody that I've been very close to for a long period of time. And 
Uh, and then Coach Durrell. You know, I got to know uh, Coach Durrell through the recruitment of Chandler um, at Stanford. I was a recruiting coordinator. And I remember uh, my wife and I picked up uh, Coach Durrell from, uh, I think it was from the hotel during an official visit. And that's kind of where our relationship began. Um, so I just had a lot of respect for him, uh, for how he uh, goes about his business. And most importantly, for just to be in a place that is a great fit um, for me, that I felt like I was a great for that great fit for that place but also that that was a great fit for me. Um, and, and really it all comes down to people. Um, and that's how I feel it. Everything is about people and you're gonna have the success or the failure uh, if, the, if, the, if there's alignment with the people. Um, and so then the process uh, you know, escalated um, really the same day um, that, that coach made a change on the offense side of the ball. Um, you know, I immediately reached out to him and um, through, you know, through other people and uh, I'm sure he was uh, he was probably annoyed by the amount of people that were in the building that that, I, that knew me um, that, that talked about you know my background and, and having seen what I was capable of doing as a coach and a quarterback coach and recruiting um, and then we we had a uh, multiple zoom interviews uh, multiple phone calls um, in-person interview um, came out here a couple times and uh, it was a very thorough process and um, it was an interview, obviously, that I wanted to get the job, but it was an interview that I also wanted to make sure that, that Coach Durrell felt really good about the alignment offensively, that, that the vision was for me and him, and then I wanted to feel really good about that alignment too. Um, you know, a lot of times everybody just wants jobs and want to go to places. Um, I wanted to go work for a head coach that, that saw uh, a philosophy offensively that, that, I, that I shared, um, and that's exactly what we had. All right, so two things. First of all, I made a very clear note in my notes that said like okay clip seven very very long make sure that you let everybody know that they need to buckle up um so apologize for not doing that i'm gonna get ahead of this next one because the next one almost as long Um, but the others are gonna be nice and short and sweet so there we go um second thing i really appreciate that he said my dad and he worked together back my dad and he, everybody says my dad and him, even I say it, but it's wrong. And the fact that he knows that sort of grammar, hmm, big, big plus in my book. Uh, that's a guy I can get behind. But more really though, I think it's important that you guys just kind of hear the story, um, get to know him a little bit, right? Like this is a, this is like the new kid in the classroom or whatever. Uh, but you know, talks about how much you like Boulder before, talks about being in the West Coast, talks about wanting to be aligned with Carl Durrell. Um, again, it was a long clip. He kind of spoke for himself. I don't need to ramble just to make the, the, the length of the green lines and the purple lines look pretty good when I cut this all together at the end. Um, so there you go. Uh, next up, again, this is, uh, this is another longer one. So, uh, you know, prepare yourself mentally. But... Here he is talking about uh, the, the the way that he wants to play football. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the CU fans want to know if we're going to run the ball 70% of the time or not. Um, and here's the answer. That's not going to be the case. Uh, we want to be very, very balanced. Um, the, I think the perfect example of, of, of offensive identity that I believe in um, is is my, my first time as a coordinator was at Boise State in 2014. Um, obviously, that's a place that formed who I was offensively. Um, I played at Boise State, um, played under Chris Peterson. Um, you know, obviously, a guy that I had tremendous respect for, and that system was really kind of uh, erected by Chris Peterson. Um, 
but also uh, it was influenced by my, my time at Stanford, what we were accomplished, you know, winning the trenches at Stanford. So it was very balanced. Um, it was it was a year in which the, the pass game and the run game was was really on par with each other, both statistically, um, how much we called each each one of them. Um, but there are there is going to be an identity of physicality, um, and that doesn't mean that we are only going to run the football. Physicality exists in the, in the throwing game as well. Um, we're going to make sure that um, we have an identity as as a, as a program that we want to build a bully here. You know, build a bully on the field, right? Uh, a bully in the weight room. Um, and then we're, we're off the field. We're going to be gentlemen, obviously. But uh, on the field, we want to be we want to be a bully. Um, you know, and that's that's when the ball's in the air in the pass game. I want to be a bully. I want to come down with that football. Um, when the quarterback's in the pocket, I want to be I want to show my toughness and my physicality by taking a shot um, with, when I'm under duress and delivering a ball down the field. Um, so the, the, I think the the identity of it is going to be physicality, and that's going to be multi-tiered. Um, but the bottom line is is run, pass, um, all the different things that we want to do. Whatever we need do need to do to win that particular game, based off of what the defense gives us, and also based off of what our personnel is going to give us the best advantage, we're going to do that. And that, if that means that we're, we're going to throw the ball 50, 60 times in a game, and we have to to win that football game, we're going to do that. Um, if we need to run the football 40 to 50 times in that game, we're going to do that to win that football game. But really, ultimately, all championship football teams. It never comes down to statistics. It comes down to finding a way to win the football game, what that exact formula is. And it does involve being the most physical team on the field that day. All right. Um, like I said, we're going to be nice and quick and, and brief with the rest of the clips. There's only a few more. We're almost done. I Hour in, but feels like it's been six minutes. Um, I like what I heard personally. Um, I think that I think it was Carl who said earlier, um, not not in the show, but but during the uh, the the meet and greet today, that you know he he likes the diversity in the different things that Sanford has done. You know whether it's obviously going heavy and power running with some RPOs at Minnesota or um, the, the balanced offense at Stanford, or basically running a spread offense at Utah State. The fact that he has all of that kind of in his bag, and he can use all those different things to, to fit what he does, or fit fit the personnel here at Colorado, I mean, that you have to like the idea of it at the very least, right? Like somebody who can run any offense, except for the triple option, the best offense, but... Um, can kind of use what fits with these guys. Now, the important part is being able to evaluate what you have on your roster and what these guys are good at, and I think that maybe that piece has been lacking recently. Um, But I do think that because he was most recently at Minnesota, he gets put into the, oh, he's running the Minnesota box. Minnesota offense box. Missed a word. We've been talking a lot. Um, So, yeah, I do think you kind of have to just wait and see what this is going to look like. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what it is. Um, I, I also like the idea that you're 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 the bully no matter what, because at the end of the day, it is football, and you see that at every level. That when push comes to shove, it's the physical team that wins. Um, look at the Super Bowl. Look at those front sevens. Look at those offense. I guess the Bengals' offensive line isn't anything special, but again, it's 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 football. You got to be physical. And um, I think you also have to be malleable. You have to be able to to fit your situation. I think that's, he said in that clip, um, 
you know, you got to be able to take what the defense gives you, but also understand what your offensive players give you, basically. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what it looks like, and I guess that's the answer because, I mean, this is kind of what every coach says, right? We're going to fit what we do to what we have, and we're going to make it work, and that's what this next clip is actually going – or no, sorry. Eh, yeah, we're, let's play this one next. You know, we're going to utilize our personnel. Um, that's the bottom line. It's not going to be a cookie-cutter offensive system that we just say, hey, you, you've just got to got to be in this position. We're going to run the same plays over and over. And if you fit in, great. If you don't, you don't. We're going to, we're going to customize it and tailor it as we get to know our personnel better uh, to be able to put the right running backs in the right position to go be successful based off of what runs that they execute at a higher level and what they can do in the pass game. And I think it's exciting because, uh, you know, we're speaking about Ramon. I can talk about Ramon, right? Um, speaking about Ramon, I mean, you know, production, tremendous production. Alex Fondo, tremendous production. Dion, Dion Lewis, per, tremendous production. So we got guys that, that have shown production at this level, uh, and I'm excited to watch those guys compete because um, it's not going to be one running back. It's going to always be by committee. Um, I saw that this past season. Um, you know, we were running against Wisconsin this past season with our pre, you know, preseason, probably fifth and sixth screen running backs. And, you know, and those guys are going out there and getting 100 yards uh, almost every game. So um, you got to have a deep group there because they're all going to touch the football. I just realized there was one more thing I wanted to say about that last clip. Um, and that's that, you know, the, the idea of your being being the bully in the passing game as well. You know, receiver's going to go get that ball and bring it down. I like what that means for this group, right? R.J. Snead absolutely fits that mold. I mean, you, you watch what he did, the big plays that he made. They're all contested catches down the sideline. That signing makes a lot more sense having heard the whole bully thing. Um, you know, Chase Penry, a guy who... You know, he hasn't put up the big numbers. He hasn't made all those big catches. He hasn't come down with the ball. But, I mean, he can sure take a hit, and, and you're not going to out-physical him, you know? And, again, when you're an offensive player, sometimes, you guys know, he, he can take the hit, he can grab the ball, he can he can get the ball in traffic. Um, he fits that mold. Uh, you look at Montana Lamonius Craig. He's another one of those guys who has great hands, is very strong, can go get that ball. Um, also, though, I think Brendan Rice would have fit in really well with that mentality. Um, so strong, so big. Um, kind of, I mean, I, if, if they did go run heavy because they decide that this year it just makes the most sense to ground and pound and use these backs and the offensive line pans out and Tommy Brown's an All-American or whatever, then you could see how Brendan Rice could have almost like a Demarius Thomas at Georgia Tech type of season where he's just big and he's strong and he's a bully and he fits that identity and he has like 90% of the team's receiving yards and he's just dominant in a running offense. And, I don't know, probably probably would spread the ball around a little bit, but it makes you think. It makes you think, but I do like that idea. In terms of this most recent clip, the one that I just played, um, again, it's what we were talking about before. Every coach is going to say it's not cookie cutter. We're going to to adapt our offense to fit the personnel. We're going to make it the scheme tailored to the players. That's what everybody says. It's a lot easier to say than to do. You know, it's it's hard to evaluate players and figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are. You know, do you want Chase Penry breaking in or out? That's that's one of those questions that obviously you have to be able to do both and you have to be able to to show the defense different things. But at the end of the day, you have to say, hey, it's third and 10. Chase Penry is now our third and 10 guy, third and long guy. How do, how do we get him open? Hey, 
you you got to have the answer. And if you're right, it's going to help you out. You know, Brady Russell, do we want him stretching the seam or do we want him sitting short? Do we want him trying to get to the sideline or crossing the middle? Is somebody scared of contact in the middle? There's all these little things that you have to figure out about all these players. And on top of just like baseline, who do you want on the field? Because I think that there have been mistakes made by previous staffs in terms of who the actual players on the field should be. Um, so figure out what the strengths are and then figure out how to build an offense around him. Um, we'll, we'll see again if it works out. That's There's a lot of we'll see in February when you're talking about college football. Or at least there should be. Don't jump to conclusions. Um, in terms of this running back rotation, again, it's the same thing. Figure out what they're good at. Have them do what they're good at. Especially in college football, I think. You know, if, if you're... If you're saying, hey, Ashad Clayton, for example, when he was here, he didn't have the vision to to play in his own blocking scheme. And hopefully he gets that and hopefully he has a great career. But they had to run power and ISO and counters and traps, those sorts of things that say, you go right here. This is This is where you go. In this one hole, this is the exact spot on the field where you should be stepping and then you just go straight ahead. And so you put him in a situation to do those things. At the same time, if you're a defense and you say, hey, look, there's a Shaw Clayton in the game. I don't think this is going to be an outside zone. That helps, right? That'll, that'll help you. And so you do have to keep that level of unpredictability. But the, the, the scouting the scouting is better in the NFL. That's just the way it works. If you're if you're running the same plays with the same players or the same routes with the same receivers or this running back is better outside or inside and you only do what they do best, Bill Belichick is going to be ready for that, I guarantee you. And, you know, Nick Saban will be ready for it too. But week in, week out in college football, you can be a little bit more predictable. You can't be totally predictable. And the more unpredictable you are, the better. But there is a little bit more room to just say, you're good at this, go do this. And... There's also, in some cases, these talent differentials where in college football, more often than the NFL, sometimes you can say, even if they know what we're doing, we're going to be able to do it just fine. And, you know, that's probably going to come up more early in the season, you know, with these non-conference games. Northern Colorado, absolutely, you take that approach. Um, when you play Oregon, it's like, yeah, maybe they don't, it's unlikely you're going to have that matchup. And for Colorado, given what we think on the outside, in terms of just like the overall talent and the youth and the inexperience on this team. It's like, yeah, you might not have a lot of situations where you can say, this is what we do well and this team can't stop it. But I don't know. It's college football. We'll see what happens. One more clip and then we will be done today. This is a fun one. This is a fun one. I think that Oh wait, there's actually two more. I skipped one earlier and changed the order. Um about the system, about adjusting to the system. This is kind of in the same vein, but it's more so like there might be more talent on this roster than you guys realize. These players weren't running the system that we're going to run. Um, they're not taught the way that we're going to necessarily teach them um, because there are going to be new nuances to the system. Um, so there's going to be players that, that maybe you know didn't have a big role last year that are on this roster, that were on this roster. Um, they're going to be a tremendous fit for what we're going to do going forward. So, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be a great opportunity for these players. It's an exciting time for guys in this roster to go compete for opportunities to play. Um, and that's going to be an ongoing evaluation process from now um, all the way through our first game and through the season. 
Yeah. And this is one of those other things we talked about before. You know, Isaiah Lewis, for example. Mel Tucker, his staff, they want nothing to do with Isaiah Lewis. They didn't think that he was hardly worth a scholarship. New staff comes in, and not only is he an every-down player in the Buffs secondary, he's also one of the best players on the defense and a team leader. Now, again, he had he had a couple more struggles, struggles last year than he did the year before. Um, but, again, the scheme matters. The system matters. How players are used really matters. And if you're running a West Coast offense where you're looking for short passes, you want little route runners underneath um, instead of saying, hey, we're, we're sending guys down the field, which is a lot of what happened in Chev's offense. You're going to want different receivers, for example. If, you're, if there's a lot of zone runs instead of power runs, well, guess what? They're, that's going to change the running backs you want. That's going to change the offensive line you want. Um, are you running a bunch of RPOs? That will simplify things for the offense. So, or for the quarterback. Um, there could be more players who are are better than we realized, you know, and, and can do different things. You know, you wonder about Jalen Jackson. If, if he's able to turn those quick feet into route running, then he could be a really, really good slot receiver. And again, in the West Coast offense, where you're trying to get open underneath and then let your playmakers go make plays, that kind of fits Jalen Jackson's mold. Could we see a breakout there? Absolutely. Am I betting on it? I mean, if you're betting on a breakout for just about anybody, you, it's it's risky, right? So you just got to wait and see. And he's made it clear, Mike did during the uh, the uh, press conference today, there's going to be a lot of valuation done in this spring ball period, figuring out who to build things around, who are your best players, who can do what you're asking them to do. Um, and this is really a big time. And it it can motivate players to say, hey, Right now, there is no depth chart. And, and I mean, every coach is going to say there is no depth chart. The, every job is up for grabs, all that kind of stuff. But when you're playing for a guy who's never put you into a depth chart, who's never ranked you all and said wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, like there's just this clean slate that means that everything is open-ended. Everybody has opportunity and you just kind of see what happens. Um one more clip from today, and this is the one that hopefully will end the show on a bit of a high note. And this, I should say, came when uh, he was asked whether, you know, there is kind of a chip on his shoulder, whether he needs to kind of prove himself again after getting fired at Minnesota. We're going to be in an entire program full of people with a massive chip on our shoulder. Um, that's who we have to be. Um, I, I certainly am that way. We have an offensive staff full of guys that have a chip on their shoulder, every single one of us. We have a lot to prove. I know Shannon Turley, myself, and who he is yeah, in his DNA. He's a guy that always has a chip on his shoulder. And then most importantly, you have a head coach. I, I think that when, when, when you get to see Coach Durrell and the fire that he has, um, it, it is a guy that has an incredible chip on his shoulder to go prove that this program is exactly what it's capable of being under his direction. Um, there's an energy, there's an excitement that's in this building. Um, and the fan base is going to see that uh, when, when we have a chance to take the field. Um, but as everything that we're doing right now is, is building it inside this, this, you know, this, this building itself uh, and then bringing in people and, and being very aggressive and making sure that we, we bring the best coaches, the best players that we can bring to, to continue to fuel this program forward. There you go. Um, again, there, there's, there's plenty of things that you could talk about. You know, I think people, there, there's, a pretty big portion of the fan base who, when they hear like Carl Durrell and his fire, they're like, what? And again, like it, 
if Carl is perceived that way, it is his fault because and he should know as a football coach, there are basically what, like two times, two occasions when fans get to see you and kind of get to know your personality. And that's when you're talking to the media, whether it's a press conference or whether you're going on a radio show or going on Pac-12 network or whatever, or uh, there's when you're on the sideline in front of the cameras. And in both those situations, Carl's a pretty tame man. You know, he's not somebody who gets flamboyant and out of his mind or anything like that. It's not who he is in those situations. There are other times, though, when he can be more fiery. And honestly, I haven't seen him that much. But I've heard of them from players on the team or from people who work at CU who've been in those rooms. And like, oh, wow, there is more behind the scenes. And there's Mike Sanford saying uh, something similar. But yeah, the the chip on the shoulder thing, I mean, from the outside, it shouldn't be too surprising again, right? Like, we know what fans have been telling the staff and what fans have been telling these players and all the things that happen on the internet um, because all of a sudden, people are very connected with the people who are a part of the program. And I've some of you listening, I've probably seen say things to Mike Sanford that would put a chip on his shoulder. And also, I mean, there's this the chip that comes with coming off a four and eight season. So uh, there you go. There's the type of energy that's around the program is this chip on the shoulder underdog energy that, that also comes with understanding that there's new opportunity and also understanding that some of the, the bad coaches, that might be a little too blunt, but, but the coaches who really struggled the last couple of years have been replaced by coaches who, at least at this point, seem to have a better grasp on what they're doing. Um, that's it for today. That's it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with another podcast. We'll we'll have something similar talking about what Chris Wilson had to say. Uh, I really liked a couple of things that Phil McGagan had to say, especially about recruiting. Um, and you know he's he's going after. I think it's what he's taken on or he's offered six of the top twenty five recu- receivers in the upcoming class. He talked about that. Um, he talked about a bunch of stuff, and that's just Phil. And that's just Chris. Who knows? We might take a couple more days to get through this. But make sure you stay tuned to thedmvr.com. We'll have stories about all this stuff. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to use a lot of this. And I've decided, like, tonight I'm going to write about Mike Sanford. We're going to get something up on some of the stuff we talked about today. Um, and there might be another Mike Sanford piece in the next couple of days. There might be multiple from any of these coaches. So going to work my way through all the stuff that we learned today we've got the big basketball game tomorrow night one more note i just realized carl did say to the pac-12 network this morning and that's why it wasn't in my carl notes uh that he expects jt shrout to be about back to built full health for spring ball which is notable considering there's a major quarterback competition so there's that as well that's gonna do it for today thanks for hanging out for the last hour and 20 minutes or whatever and we'll talk again tomorrow morning